You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. The Russian military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine. Without provocation, without justification, without necessity, this is a premeditated attack. Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as we've been saying all along. He moved more than 175,000 troops, military equipment, and positions along the Ukrainian border. He moved blood supplies into position and built a field hospital, which uh, tells you all you need to know about his intentions all along. He rejected every good-faith effort the United States and our allies and partners made to address our mutual security concerns through dialogue to avoid needless conflict and avert human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. And now, it's unfolding largely as we predicted. In the past week, we've seen shelling increase in the Donbas, a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. The Russian government has perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims that Ukraine was, a, Ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against Russia, that Ukraine was prepared to use chemical weapons, that Ukraine committed a genocide. Without any evidence, we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign Ukrainian territory. And at the very moment that the United Nations Security Council was meeting to stand up for Ukraine's sovereignty, to stave off invasion, Putin declared his war. Within moments, moments, missile strikes began to fall on historic cities across Ukraine. Then came the air raids, followed by tanks and troops rolling in. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion. And welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Geared Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 337 of the podcast. I beg your pardon. Please forgive me in advance if I sound a little bit congested. If I've got the sniffles, it is because I have a bit of a cold. This too shall pass, but I took yesterday off in part because it just wasn't feeling so hot. I started getting this cold the night before last. Got it from some of my kiddos. It started with our three-year-old John, and now I think it's pretty well in all of us. We all now have it. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, that clip I just played for you at the top of this episode is also very pertinent to why I took yesterday off. The situation with Russia invading Ukraine was very much the talk of our house and many households around the world yesterday. Russia is seeking to annex the Ukraine. If you call it something else, that's fine. But what they want is to effectively rule over 
Ukraine. And this is not a new idea. It's a very old idea politically. You can conquer a neighboring territory and then install your own puppet. And then that puppet is supposed to pay you tribute and go to war with you. When you go to war against enemies, they go in on your side. They're supposed to supply you with what you demand of them. They're supposed to allow for you to freely move around in their territory. They're their own separate country, but they're not really. There's a kind of uh, suzerain status that Putin wants for Ukraine. And he has had it as early as 2014. There was a pro-Moscow, pro-Putin dictatorship in the Ukraine. And the people of Ukraine got tired of it, and they said, enough, this does not represent what we want. This does not represent our interests. This is not a government. This is a sham. And so they rose up and basically forced the leader, the puppet in Ukraine, uh, out. And then subsequently, they installed a government that was more favorable to their interests, that was more likely in their estimation to protect their rights, protect their liberties, protect their wealth, protect their interests. Putin, ever since, has been uh, not thrilled, not happy about that, for obvious reasons. The Ukraine, just to give you some idea, some perspective, the Ukraine is a very important country economically for Russia. Two weeks ago, a guy by the name of Jeff Larravy posted to Facebook, and I quote, For those who ask, why does Ukraine matter? This is why Ukraine matters. It is the second largest country in Europe by area. It has a population of over 43 million persons, more than Poland by about 6 million. Ukraine ranks first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium ores, second place in Europe and 10th place in the world in terms of titanium ore reserves, second place in the world in terms of explored reserves of manganese ores, 2.3 billion tons or 12% of the world's reserves. Manganese, for those of you wondering, is used in paints, glass, as an anti-corrosive. It is used in improving mechanical quality of other metals. Uh, It's used in composites with other metals, that is to say. Uh, For instance, titanium. Uh, Production of fungicides, fungicides, fungicides. Uh, There's some health applications for it. Uh, It's used as a depolarizer in dry cell batteries, and it is also used in standard cells as an oxidizing agent, production of fertilizers, composting creature feed, unleaded fuel, welding, TV circuit sheets, lots of important industrial and agricultural applications for manganese. Ukraine is second in the world, containing 12% of the world's reserves of manganese. Second largest iron ore reserves in the world at 30 billion tons. 
Second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore reserves. Third place in Europe, 13th in the world in shale gas reserves, 22 trillion cubic meters. Fourth in the world by the total value of natural resources. Let me say that again, and I'll say it slower. Fourth in the world by the total value of natural resources. That's astounding. Seventh place in the world in coal reserves, 33.9 billion tons. Ukraine is an important agricultural country. First in Europe in terms of arable land area. Third place in the world by the area of black soil, 25% of world's volume. 25%. One quarter of the world's volume of black soil is in the Ukraine. That's astounding. First place in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil. And we'll come back to that, by the way. Keep, keep that in mind for later. Sunflower seeds in particular. I will bring up an amusing, encouraging story. I think it's encouraging in any, in any event. Second place in the world in barley production. Fourth place in barley exports third largest producer and fourth largest exporter of corn in the world, fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world, fifth largest rye producer in the world, fifth place in the world in bee production, 75,000 tons. I would guess that that's not just honey. That's also maybe wax, beeswax combined, honey and wax. Eighth place in the world in wheat exports. Ninth place in the world in the production of chicken eggs. Sixteenth in the world in cheese exports. In sum, Ukraine can meet the food needs of 600 million people, according to Jeff Larravee. He goes on, Ukraine is an important industrialized country. First in Europe in ammonia production. Ammonia is very important also as a fertilizer. Europe's second and the world's fourth largest natural gas pipeline system is in the Ukraine. Third largest in Europe and eighth largest in the world in terms of installed capacity of nuclear power plants. Third place in Europe and 11th in the world in terms of rail network length, 21,700 kilometers. Third place in the world after the U.S. and France in production of locators and locating equipment. Third largest iron exporter in the world. Fourth largest exporter of turbines for nuclear power plants in the world. Fourth world's largest manufacturer of rocket launchers. Fourth place in the world in clay exports. Fourth in the world in titanium exports. Eighth in the world in exports of ores and concentrates. Ninth in the world in exports of defense industry products. Tenth largest steel producer in the world. 32.4 million tons. Ukraine matters. That is why its independence is important to the rest of the world. Jeff Larravee's post ends. The Ukraine, when it was a part of the Soviet Union, was known as the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. That's where a lot of the food, most of the food of the Soviet Union was grown and produced. Terrible things were done to the Ukrainian people by the Soviets based in Moscow by the Soviet government. But Ukraine is its own separate independent country. 
The Soviet Union collapsed. It is no more. And several of its former member states are very pleased about that. They do not want to go back. To give you some idea of why communism is not good in practice, sounds better than it actually turns out to be, consider that the Berlin Wall was created to keep people in. It wasn't created to keep people out. By contrast, the wall that Donald Trump was trying to build on our southern border was designed to keep people out of the U.S. because so many people want to come into the U.S. Go figure. I think it says something about the state of your country and your society and your government, your political situation, your treatment of people. When, on the one hand, you build a wall to keep people in and you shoot them if they try to escape, or on the other hand, when you build a wall to keep people out because you want to control access because everybody wants to get there. Everybody wants to come in and be a part of this country. Vladimir Putin, Russia's dictator, his past being in the KGB, he is a thug and he is a very shrewd, sharp-minded thug. He's not an idiot. He is not stupid. He may be taking a bit of a gamble here, but he is going for something and not just pride. I was listening to Ben Shapiro's take on this last night. So I was trying to settle a fussy newborn. And Ben Shapiro was exactly right that we need to be thinking in terms of what is Putin's motivation. For one thing, why is he acting now? Well, because he senses weakness. He senses a closing window. He senses weakness on the part of Joe Biden in particular, but also the leaders of other NATO ally countries. He senses weakness. He senses a lack of resolve, a lack of commitment, a lack of conviction that our way of life is worth defending. Meanwhile, he is out to capitalize on a very common feeling, and that is a sense of pride that Russians have and the sense of longing they feel towards what they see as being maybe the heyday in the modern era when the Soviet Union was regarded as a global superpower. With the fall of the Soviet Union, the Russian people, yes, might have had an opportunity to be a lot freer, and yet, unless the fundamental spiritual condition of the Russian people has changed, they are no freer, whether you say they're under the Soviet Union or you call it something else. It really is beside the point whether you're ruled by a czar or you're ruled by Stalin or Lenin or Putin, for that matter. Call the man what you will, he styles himself a czar. He's a strong man. He's a dictator. He's a thug. He can say that he is the servant of the people, the voice of the people, 
what have you. And that might be true, but what is the spiritual condition of the people that Putin is representative, that Putin is indicative? For that matter, what does it say about the spirit of our people that Biden is indicative, that Biden typifies us and represents us? I think Shapiro is right to point out the motivation of the Russian people being to bring back the glory days. Where this potentially turns into World War III is not so much where Russia did what it did this week, invading Ukraine, currently fighting Ukrainian men, women, and children, trying to subjugate the population, trying to defeat them, mind, body, and soul. Biden, for his part, has already said. He's already telegraphed his punches and the pulling of his punches well ahead of time. NATO forces will not intervene to protect Ukraine, to repel Putin. Putin, for his part, gets to look strong on the world stage by threatening, essentially, nuclear attacks and probably hypersonic nuclear attacks against America, Great Britain, literally anyone who dares interfere in Ukraine. He's threatening it, and he gets the luxury of threatening it when dealing with someone who has pledged openly he's not going to do anything. Putin gets to look strong and to terrorize the world with the prospect of nuclear winter, nuclear war, because Biden has already said, I'm not going to do anything. So this is a failure on so many levels. It's a failure on the one hand because a very tyrannical, amoral, godless man is going to try to take and is taking and will likely succeed in taking a very economically important country to his south. Meanwhile, in that same press conference from yesterday that I played the first couple of minutes of at the top of this episode, Biden is asked by a reporter why the sanctions on Putin have not been more severe and why the sanctions were not put in place sooner. You're saying, we've known about this for months. This is no surprise. You've been warning everyone. Why didn't you sanction Putin before he sent troops in? Why didn't you sanction him when he was amassing 200,000 troops on the borders of Ukraine over the past several weeks? You may have prevented this, or could you have prevented this by putting the sanctions in place sooner and harder, harder sanctions than what have in fact been placed? You haven't pulled out all the stops. Also, what sanctions you did put in place didn't prevent this. And Biden, for his part, chuckles like a jerk and says, oh, the sanctions weren't supposed to prevent anything. Uh, yes, okay, you're slipping. You weren't supposed to say that out loud, I don't think. But I guess, why not be honest? Well, let's, let's just be honest, you and I, shall we? The sanctions are just a show. This is just theater. And the trouble is, real men, women, and children will die for your playing the court jester. Real men, women, and children are dying. Very similar 
to my frustration over the fall of Afghanistan, the abandonment of Afghanistan. Let's pull troops out before we have evacuated all of the civilians, before we've evacuated interpreters, collaborators, people that worked with our military. Oh no, just leave them and their families to the mercies, the tender mercies of ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and China. China, no doubt, will tell those Islamists in Afghanistan to be nice, I'm sure. Or they'll say, oh, you know what you could do with these people? You could harvest their organs and sell them on the world market to people who have organs that are failing. That's what you could do. Maybe. On that note, I am reading, and I just started reading it last night. I got through the first chapter, and I intend to read the whole thing. It's part of the benefit of my new schedule, is that I can do such. But I started reading Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex, The Law and the King, on the binding, on the spine of this copy from Canon Press, 1644. So this was, according to the back cover, written when the Reformation in England and Scotland was in crisis. The English Civil War, and I quote, had just begun due to the attempts by Charles I to impose popish rituals on the church and to assert his divine right as king to overrule parliament. Against these grandiose claims, the Scottish pastor Samuel Rutherford wrote a book that changed the course of Western civilization. In his very learned work, Rutherford shows from scripture, classical authors, and scholastic theologians that the king is not above the law, and that when the king violates it flagrantly, the people are right to resist him even to the point of war. The title Lex Rex is Latin for Law is King. Divine right theorists had said that the king was the law. But Rutherford reverses this and shows that natural law is above the king, and thus there are times when citizens can and must obey God rather than man. This book changed Western political philosophy forever and led to the thinking that enabled the American Revolution. Quote, A man commanding unjustly and ruling tyrannically has in that no power from God. Now, one might ask, what about Romans 13? The introduction by Doug Wilson, as Canon Press is a Doug Wilson enterprise, which is all the more reason to read this, by the way. I like Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson, if you're listening, you're all right. But in the introduction that Doug Wilson writes for this, he draws attention to the slapdash way that Romans 13 was applied during the pandemic as if Christians have a duty to blind unquestioning obedience to whoever claims to be in authority actually it's quite the contrary we have a duty to obey God's authority first and foremost and when someone pretends to be in authority and they exceed their authority they operate outside of the legitimate bounds their authority is supposed to operate within, it's wrong to affirm that. It's wrong to go along with that. 
particularly if you are doing so because you fear man who can only kill the body, but that's enough for you. You, you fear man because they can kill you. And all of the folks quaking in their boots even while they try to sound tough on the world stage because Putin just threatened nuclear war, said, Amen. Yes, we do fear man. Tell me this, what really is the difference if Putin fires hypersonic nuclear weapons at the U.S. or these other countries? What really is the difference between that and if he literally had just a piddly old World War One gun, World War Two gun to our heads? What is the difference exactly? Dead is dead. Dead is dead. The one who blinks first empowers the other. Biden, for his part, telegraphs his punches and also announces publicly on the world stage when he's going to pull his punches. And this is not so good. This is not so good. I've been playing this game with my wife for the past couple of weeks. And the big idea is for us to get healthier and get more fit. We just bought some Fitbit Charge 5s to try and get a better handle on our health situation to understand how our rest is relating to our energy level. You can also keep track of what you're eating and how much water you're drinking. It also has a sensor on it to monitor your stress level. It's got an ECG feature, which is pretty spectacular, where it can analyze your heart rhythm to see if there's an irregularity there. It also can monitor your skin temperature, fluctuations in your skin temperature, which is pretty neat. But before we got these Fitbits, she and I, we got into this game on the Oculus Quest called Supernatural. And don't get me wrong, right? I'm not a fanboy with the whole metaverse thing. In fact, I bought us a Quest 2 because I was very concerned about the metaverse. And is this a thing that is going to potentially devour our souls? Is this a potentially new way of brainwashing us all because the same folks who are putting this stuff out are the same folks who've been censoring conservative speech on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google. These are the same folks who, when everybody was trying to figure out what mass formation psychosis is, were throwing up a, we're sorry, we're still looking for reliable sources of information on this. Check back later when we have some. Because all of the unreliable sources, as they saw it, were going to spill the beans on what's really been happening the past two years with COVID. And surely longer, right? COVID didn't come out of nowhere. Surely longer. Actually, Saul Alinsky and Edward Bernays could teach you an awful lot about how our media works, believe it or not. For as long ago as they were writing, you could learn a lot about what the left has done with corporate media and with social media online. You could learn a lot by studying Edward Bernays and Saul Alinsky. 
But we get into Supernatural, and we start working out, and we're trying to compete with each other to see who can get the most points. You get a certain number of points for your power and accuracy, for the length and intensity of your workout. And one of the two principal workout types is boxing. So the boxing is pretty cool, actually. Uh, You're standing in this very beautiful scene. And it could be anywhere from the temple of Horus in Egypt to the moon to Icelandverse (laughs) to anywhere, right? But with that, part of how the boxing game works is that you've got music playing. And as the music is playing and you're in this beautiful setting, let's say, for instance, in Icelandverse, you've got these gloves, sparring gloves that are flying towards you. And oh, by the way, you've got a white glove and you've got a black glove. Your white glove is your right, your black glove is your left. And you're supposed to hit, as these are flying at you to the beat, you're supposed to hit the white glove or the black glove. And there you have it. You might be dodging here and there too because there's these glowing bars at different angles and different heights. We'll also fly at you and you've got to kind of bob and weave to duck around them. But you can see them coming a ways off. And the challenge lies in doing this accurately with enough power for the duration. And the faster it is, of course, the more intense it is, the higher your heart rate's going to get, the more you're going to sweat, the more calories you're going to burn, the more you're going to develop that hand-eye coordination and that endurance and that cardiorespiratory health. That is the whole idea. And that's good, right? I'm not criticizing that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. But take that game on low intensity. It is too easy. The look on Putin's face through this whole business is the look you might have if you were playing one of these supernatural workouts on low intensity. Oh, and you could turn the squat level, squat depth off too. I should mention that. When you start it, you set your squat depth based on your height, based on what you're comfortable with. But that is to say too, if you effectively turn off the squat depth, if you don't squat down when you're calibrating that, you can basically not have to really move much at all, which... In my wife's case, she has to do, because she's got bad knees, or she's at least dialed that back. It's not as aggressive a squat depth as mine is, which is fine. But Putin smiles and grins on the world stage right now like he is seeing the punches fly at him nice and slow to know exactly when to throw the right, exactly when to throw the left, to look strong. 
Uh, it's a giant psyops. It's a giant game. Uh, it's a spectacle. It's propaganda. This is propaganda galore on the world stage right now. And it's definitely got a real tangible aspect to it. There are real men, women, and children who are shedding real blood, sweat, and tears right now in the Ukraine. But I think it's a good time. <laughs> I think it's a good time <clears throat> to read Lex Rex, The Law and the King. And of course, I'll have more for you once I'm finished with it. I hail from Scott's stock on my mother's mother's side. Lauren hails from Scotsman on her father's side. That makes our children probably majority Scots, I would say, as far as ancestry and lineage and descent goes. So I like that Samuel Rutherford is a Scotsman. He's a Scots Presbyterian. He was at the General Assembly that put together the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I love, too, that some of what Doug Wilson introduces him with is how most people have come to know Samuel Rutherford in the modern era. They know Samuel Rutherford as a devotional writer par excellence. Oh, look at these wonderful things that he's written that are so holy and thoughtful and good and decent. And wow, that's so profound. That's so good and super convicting, as Christians like to say about popular Christian books when they read them. So good and super convicting. As Wilson points out, most folks are not familiar with Samuel Rutherford the Scottish theological heavyweight, the barroom brawler when it comes to working out thorny issues of political philosophy as it relates to our Christian faith. But we do need to figure these things out, especially when it's a matter of life and death, when it's a matter of real men, women, and children living and dying on the will and whim of potentially very corrupt Politicians who are being paid by our enemies to make bad decisions, to make bad calls. This happens. This happens. And if we're asleep to it, if we are ambivalent to it, and we are indifferent, and we don't care, and it's not our fight ever, it's never our fight because we're selfish, short-sighted, unjust, lawless, antinomians. Faith, faith. Don't talk to me about works. Well, Show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works, James says. We're supposed to be nice and kind and we'll win everyone over by being otherworldly in our friendliness. And yes, that might be true to an extent, but there is a time for war just like there's a time for peace. I think for my part with regards to Ukraine, Ukraine should have joined NATO. Ukraine should have joined NATO. That would have been smart. We should have welcomed Ukraine in, and Ukraine should have joined NATO. I think also now that Russia is doing this with Ukraine, we do well to think about down the road a little ways. What is Russia, what is Putin more capable of attempting 
with Ukraine in his pocket. Now, I play a lot of strategy games. I have played a lot of strategy games over the years. It's been my drug of choice, if you will. I drink my coffee, and I smoke my pipe, and I write, and I play strategy games when time allows, when time affords. But in a strategy game, I know that I know that I know that armies depend on economies. Now, that's why you would put sanctions on Putin and Russia. It's because you want to cripple his economy. You cripple his economy, and all of a sudden his warfighting abilities are greatly diminished, if not eliminated. That's how the Soviet Union collapsed. Their economy collapsed. They weren't able to sustain the spending levels on military hardware on the development of technologies to try to defeat the U.S. They weren't able to support their military with their economy because their economy was still communistic. might not have been as pure communist, pure communist uh, as it originally was conceived to be, but it was still communist. It was still centrally planned. And again, like anything, it doesn't really matter what you call it. It matters what it is. The nature of the thing, call it communism, call it capitalism, will prove itself. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Right now, if Putin takes the Ukraine, does he stand to gain more than he loses? Are the sanctions more punishing than the obtaining of that prize is rewarding? That's the question. If not, then they're worthless. They're a waste of time. The only way to make it an unattractive proposition is to make it more costly for him than it is rewarding. And here's what Putin's thinking. He's thinking Biden has been paid a lot of money by Russia, by China, through back channels, through his family. Biden's been paid a lot of money for just a time such as this. You've been, <laughs> you were bribed for such a time as this, he might be saying. People do take bribes. That's a thing. There's a lot of evidence that Biden and his family have taken bribes from foreign governments, that the Democrats writ large have taken bribes from foreign governments. In the absence of a moral absolute, which they obviously do not have a moral absolute, why would we be shocked and surprised to find that at the end of the day, they can justify to themselves the necessity of taking money from our enemies abroad in exchange for influence? With that money, they might think to themselves, they can do a lot of good here. And in the end, isn't that really what matters? Isn't that the really important thing? So then Biden plays soft, Slow walks it, telegraphs his punches. You can see them coming nice and slow. There, there that's, a, that's a good boy. Nice and slow, Putin says. And I'll hit every one of them. And I'll score all the points. And Russia and China will rule the day. Very good. Very good. There's an interesting article in the New York Post, which is worth sharing. 
And I'll give credit to Dan Bongino over at Rumble for having referenced this article in his episode from, I believe, yesterday. Either yesterday or today. It's a Michael Goodwin piece. An opinion piece, but it's really an interview. I don't know why everything has to be an opinion. We're too afraid of saying this is a fact. There's not really much in the way of opinion, except you're sharing that Trump has an opinion on these things, but that's not really the same thing as an opinion piece. It's a weird look, New York Post. You getting nervous there? You okay? You doing okay? Anyway. Trump talks about Putin, mocking Merkel, and more at Mar-a-Lago, February 22nd, 2022. President's Day, Michael Goodwin went to talk with President Trump in Palm Beach, Florida. Interestingly enough, too, that's where Ben Shapiro moved out of California and to Palm Beach, Florida. Not saying there's a connection, except maybe Palm Beach, Florida is a nice place to be. He remains especially troubled, Goodwin writes, by the deadly and chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, asking, can you imagine taking the military out first and giving up that big, beautiful Bagram air base that's just an hour from China? Uh, No. No, I can't, to answer your question. That was extremely stupid. Some might say treacherous. Some might say further evidence that Russia and China paid you and your family a lot of money to do things that are good for them and not good for us. Quoting Trump, it was the single biggest embarrassment in our history, he insisted. Does he think Biden will finish the term? Goodwin writes, quote, I don't know, he said, but we are being systematically destroyed. We are no longer feared, respected, or even liked. You should be one of those. If you want to continue having your own independent country, you should be one of those at least. Uh, all three would be cool. I think of Michael Scott. I'll play the clip for you. I can't resist. I have to. I'm sorry. This is a very serious episode, but we got to lighten it up now and again. Here's Michael Scott with some thoughts on this. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry. (laughs) Did I say Michael Scott? I meant Tony Stark. That's weird. Let's try again. We'll try again. That's how it should be. But uh, definitely not the Michael Scott approach, Joe Biden approach. Let's, uh, we'll try again. Come on. Come on, Garrett. Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. There it is. That, that, sorry. Sorry about that, guys. Got the two mixed up. I thought I thought that uh, Michael Scott and Tony Stark were basically the same person because, you know, I mean, they, they kind of look a lot alike. They both wear suits. They both are kind of, you know, manager-type business people. And, you know, they both have 
philosophies of whether it's better to be feared or respected or loved or, you know, whatever. So it's just, you know, what's the difference really, right? What's, what's the difference? Back to the New York Post article, though. As we talked, Goodwin writes, and news was breaking about Vladimir Putin's declaration of independence for two Ukrainian provinces, Trump was flabbergasted by the audacity, but not surprised. Quote, I got along great with Putin, he said. Quote, I like him. I respect him. He's doing his thing, but our people aren't doing theirs. Which is, it's like, Trump, you can't say things like that. Sorry, you just... You're still doing your shtick, I get it, but you can't can't say things like that. Talking about Merkel and when Trump was pressuring NATO members to pay their agreed-upon share of the common defense, in particular Germany, he says, I sent her a white flag. She said, what is this? I said, it's a flag of surrender, so you don't have to go out and buy a new one. <laughs> which is fantastic and fabulous and really too i mean there's this clip that's circulating that is rightly circulating with regards to trump calling out germany in particular for buying its oil and gas from russia let's play that one as well why don't we now if you look at it Germany is a captive of Russia because they supply. They got rid of their coal plants. They got rid of their nuclear. They're getting so much of the oil and gas from Russia. I think it's something that NATO has to look at. I think it's very inappropriate. You and I agree that it's inappropriate. I don't know what you can do about it now, but it certainly doesn't seem to make sense that they pay billions of dollars to Russia, and now we have to defend them against Russia. Exactly right. 100%. All day, every day. That was four years ago, by the way, July 11th, 2018. This summer will mark four years. And what a difference four years makes. What a difference it makes when you have a leader, and Trump was and still is a leader. You realize that, right? Just because he's not in office doesn't mean he's no longer leading. The New York Post article just goes to show. But you have a leader in Trump who is going to our allies and giving them some hard words. And they're not used to it. They're not accustomed to that. They're not accustomed to being called out for, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to be buying energy from somebody who's not an enemy. Why would you buy energy from an enemy? What what are you doing? You, You guys are not serious. You're not serious here. You're not paying your agreed-upon share of the defense budget for NATO. Meanwhile, you are buying your energy from Russia. Why? Trump, for his part as well, really encouraged domestic oil and gas production here in the U.S. For four years, he encouraged domestic oil and gas production because it was a national security imperative that we produce our own oil and gas and we not be dependent on other countries to sell it to us. That our allies not be dependent on other countries to sell it to them. We produce it. We have every capability of producing it better, cleaner, safer, 
here. And it would be profitable. It would be safer. It would be more profitable. Our people need those jobs. I work in the oil and gas industry. You can call that bias if you will, but I work in this oil and gas industry because it provides for my family. That is a pre-political necessity. That is a command from God that I am supposed to provide for the needs of my own household. And anyone who doesn't, God's word says, is worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. You don't provide for the needs of your household. You are worse than an infidel. So I work in this industry and I work hard and I try to develop my skill set and I try and improve my earning potential, my earning capability. And then you get this whiplash effect when a Democrat comes into office claiming that the other guy was colluding with Russia. How was he colluding with Russia? Russia didn't want us to produce our own oil and gas. Russia didn't want us talking tough with the members of NATO about where they buy their energy from, namely Russia. The New York Post article continues. There are other stories making the rounds. They're even more provocative. One has it that Trump noting that Putin seized land from Georgia when George W. Bush was president and seized the Crimean Peninsula when Barack Obama was president warned Putin against a land grab on his watch. Quote, if you move against Ukraine while I'm president, Trump is said to have told the Russian leader, I will hit Moscow. Putin reportedly scoffed, no way, leading Trump to say, all those beautiful golden turrets will be blown up. Can't you just hear him saying it too? I mean, this has, as opposed to a lot of the scandals, the supposed remarks he made about not wanting to go see the graves of losers at Normandy, that didn't sound like him. This sounds like him. This sounds like a thing he would say to Putin. And then he would come out of that meeting saying, I like the guy. Yeah, he's doing his thing. I like the guy because he knows that Putin privately can have a very different conversation than Putin publicly when his hold on power in Russia is entirely dependent on his reputation for being a tough guy. A similar story involves Chinese President Xi Jinping. It was during his visit to Mar-a-Lago in 2017 when Trump famously interrupted their chocolate cake dessert to declare he had just ordered the U.S. military to fire 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles at a Syrian airbase after the Syrian government used chemical weapons against rebels and civilians. During that same visit, Trump reportedly told Xi that any military move against Taiwan would be met with an attack on Beijing. Xi, like Putin, is said to have been stunned, though it is possible neither man believed Trump was serious. While it is also possible that both accounts are exaggerated, it is a fact that neither man made the moves Trump is said to have warned against. And here's the important thing. Here's the key to understanding what's going on right now and what is going to continue going on so long as Biden and the Democrats are calling the shots. So long as Biden is president and the Democrats hold the House and the Senate, this will continue to be the case. The exact same thing that Trump is said to have done to Putin and Xi is what they are doing to us right now. Putin tells us what we will and won't do, and we say, Oh, just please don't use nuclear weapons on us. Trump was unpredictable. Trump, Xi and Putin might have supposed, I don't think this is the case, but they might have supposed 
that Trump was just crazy enough to do it. That he was crazy, like literally actually an insane person, and he would do it. I will nuke your capital city. How does that sound? Try me. And the point is, they didn't try this stuff when Trump was president. Now, I think what they did try, what I I think they did try, is unleashing COVID on the world in an election year. What I think they did try is propagating a false narrative that Trump was actually in their hip pocket. If you were Putin, which would be better? To have Trump be your man on the inside, if he was, or if he wasn't your man on the inside, but he was the biggest threat to your global aspirations, to spread the rumor that he was your man on the inside. Which do you think would be better? Judging by the results and the lack of evidence that materialized after years of drum beating by Democrats and the deep state, judging by the lack of evidence they were able to produce and the evidence that has been produced on the other side of the aisle that they actually just had political acts to grind and they weaponized the United States government against a political candidate and then president. Judging by the evidence and the lack of evidence, it certainly seems as though Putin benefited greatly from the confusion and chaos which reports and claims that Trump was an inside job created. Xi, for his part, was complicit in COVID being as destructive and damaging to global economies as it was. And he was all too ready to exploit the opportunity. And the Democrats were all too ready to let him. And then you watch Lee Smith's excellent docuseries at the Daily Wire, China, the Enemy Within, and you start finding out that the profit motive for Democrat politicians, for Hollywood bigwigs, for the NBA, for superstars like LeBron James, for academic institutions, universities, major respectable Ivy League institutions, major institutions in America, and representatives on their insides, look an awful lot like bribes. That influence purchase might just be a euphemism for a bribe. You were bribed. You, you were paid to open the gates as the enemy army marches in to the city. You were paid to look the other way and to not sound the alarm. You were paid to leave the back door unlocked and maybe even to wave people in who didn't realize why they were there, how they had gotten in. They just wanted a photo op. You were paid. Stay tuned in the coming weeks. I can just guarantee that Lex Rex, the Law and the King, is going to be a fruitful read. I can just promise that there's going to be a lot in here that is relevant to our Christian testimony, to the expression of our civic duties, to the way we think about ourselves and our lives and these world events. It's time to stop falling for what Neil Postman talks about in Amusing Ourselves to Death, where we take 
all of these little 30 second sound bites played over and over again and think that we're informed when we're actually brainwashed. And then if you ever stop to think to yourself, well, what am I actually going to do with this information? You'd have to be honest and answer nothing, nothing whatsoever. But I have the illusion of some kind of control over the situation. No, it's time for us to reject that and become readers. It's time for us to read things like Lex Rex. Because that's one of the big things I took away from Neil Postman. We confuse being entertained by little facts and sound bites about what's happening in the world. We confuse that with being informed in a way that means something, in a way that implies ownership over the details, that implies a need to actually do something. It's time we prepare ourselves for action and actually do something. I have this written up on the whiteboard, and I'll leave you with this thought. Proverbs 14.23 In all toil there is a profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. We have to talk about these things absolutely. We have to read about these things and study and be diligent and dot our I's and cross our T's and know what God's word says before we start picking up arms to overthrow our government, which is tyrannical. We should make sure, hey, check with the big man upstairs. Is this actually what you want us to do? Before we stay home and sit on our thumbs and do nothing because somebody told us all too conveniently to their politics that the most godly thing is to blindly, unquestioningly, uncritically obey whatever we're told to do. We need to double check and make sure that is correct. We need to read books like Lex Rex. Yes, but we have to prepare for toil and we have to actually toil. In all toil, there is a profit. Proverbs 14.23 says, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Let's not be just talkers. Let's be doers. But I'm going to leave it there. That's all I've got for this episode. Hopefully I get over this cold soon and you don't have to be subject to my sniffles and my stuffy nose sound, all that. Hopefully we all get over this cold. I'm going to work out. I'm going to try and get my body in better shape. That's good for the immune system. I'm going to try and get better sleep, better quality sleep. Watch what I'm eating and drinking around bedtime so as to not disturb my sleep. Watch what I'm reading. Watch what I'm looking at. Maybe I need to be reading more physical print books in the evening before bedtime and not be looking at screens so much. I'm going to try and get a handle on that because it's time to prepare for work. It's time to roll up those sleeves and get to it. We've got a country to save, by God's grace. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.